Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. Today we're going to look at Paul's journey to Rome. And I've kind of subtitled that, A Warning, Danger, and Hope. And, and these are going to be sort of the, the, this is the focus of these next few studies as we make our way through the end of the book of Acts. But in our last three studies, just for some context, from chapter 25, verse 12, all the way through the end of chapter 26, we've, we've looked at how Paul's appeal before the, the Roman governor Festus to be judged by Caesar Nero. Uh, Paul was not getting a fair shake. He was being treated unfairly. He was being imprisoned unjustly. Things were not moving in a positive direction. The, the religious leaders wanted to assassinate Paul. They wanted Paul to be brought to Jerusalem so, so the assassination could happen. Festus's sort of last resort was to ask Paul, hey, do you, do you want to go to Jerusalem? Whether he knew about the, Jew, the religious leaders' plans or not, Paul's like, um, I'd rather go to Caesar. Like, take me to Caesar. Take me to your leader, right? And so as a Roman citizen, he had that right. That was something that was part of Paul's uh, right as a citizen to be judged by Caesar. So after two years of Paul being imprisoned unjustly in Caesarea, uh, that, that led then to Paul having an audience with the Roman governor Festus and with King Agrippa and his sister, mistress Bernice, that whole weird thing, with a bunch of high-ranking military officials. And all of that led then to an open door for Paul to testify about Jesus to all those people. And, and though we don't see that, that anyone repented of their sin or turned in faith to Jesus because of Paul's preaching Seeds of the gospel were planted. They were watered in the hearts of people. Paul got to see part of the fulfillment of what Jesus has spoke about him about 20 years earlier that he would testify about Jesus to kings. And Paul's innocence was declared again after he preached to this crowd. But, but now starting at the beginning of chapter 27... And going through the end of the book of Acts, Luke is now going to record Paul's journey to Rome. And there's a lot of speculation about why Luke would give so much space in his writings to this voyage, but it's all speculation, so I'm not even going to share it. I, I think one good reminder for us is that even in sort of the narrative aspects of the book of Acts, where we're just seeing a bunch of stops we're seeing some things that may not mean a whole lot to us in the moment that Luke was writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are things preserved for us because the Spirit of God knew that we needed it. And so even in sort of the, the mundane sort of things that we might see of like, okay, I don't even know where this place is. Where's Clauda? Where's the Sirtis Sands? Like, that, that God has things for us, for us to be able to come with that sort of mindset. Lord, even in these narrative sort of things, like, God, speak to me. Help me to have insight and revelation from you that I would gain all that you would have for me and for us. And so I hope that's our heart as we approach these last two chapters. And so as we move into chapter 27, 
in verses 1 through 8, we're going to see how the, the journey to Rome started off. But first, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. So Acts 27, starting in verse 1, Luke recording for us here. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When the time finally came for Paul to be sent to Italy to stand before Caesar Nero in Rome, Paul was committed to the care of a centurion of the Augustan regiment, and that was just a distinguished legion in the Roman army, this man named Julius, along with some other prisoners. So Paul's not the only prisoner here, and even in how this is written in the Greek, these were prisoners of another kind. So it's likely that these other prisoners were not uncondemned prisoners, but they were actually prisoners that had already been condemned to death. And, and maybe part of that was them being sent to Rome to go into the arena where they would have to fight a gladiator or, have to be, or would have to maybe defend themselves against some sort of beast, maybe a lion. And, and so things were not hopeful for these other prisoners, maybe like they were for the Apostle Paul. But I also want us to see in verse 1 that, that Luke begins using the, the pronoun we again as he begins to chronicle Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome, meaning that Luke once again is with Paul in these travels. And, and not only is he with Paul, but in verse 2 we see that another man named Aristarchus a fellow Christian from Thessalonica in the area of Macedonia, that's northern Greece. This man who had been a traveling companion and fellow minister alongside of Paul in the past was with them too. And, and for me, as I consider this dynamic of Paul's final journey to Rome, I really believe we see God's grace toward Paul in Paul getting to have some built-in fellowship of at least two other friends, two other fellow believers who were allowed to stick by him in his journey to Rome. And, and, and you know, given the, the context of what's going on, in order for these two men to join Paul, it's likely that they had to volunteer that, that they had to sign up to be a part of this thing. This wasn't like, and you're going to go, and you're going to go, and you, don't, you, ha you have no choice. It's, it's these two men chose to be a part of this journey, and knowing what we'll know as things go on, man, they were signing up for something that was pretty major. Some pretty gnarly things are going to happen to these two men, because they signed up to be with Paul, they, they knew, they didn't know all the danger, but they knew it was going to be a really long journey. They knew it was going to be, you know, more than 1,500 miles of traveling just to get from Caesarea to, to Italy. 
And I love the heart of these two guys, these godly friends who chose to accompany Paul. And for me, this just kind of speaks to the importance of having godly friendships, of having people who are in your life who, who just walk with you. They walk with you when stuff's good. They walk with you when stuff's bad. They walk with you when you're being a jerk. Isn't it great when you have, so if you are, if you find yourself in the jerk sort of mode category, I wouldn't encourage you to just, I wouldn't encourage you to just keep being you in that sort of way. Like, well, they're just, they stick with me. I'm the jerk friend. They stick with me. Like, well, try to be the kind friend as well. Um, (laughs) But to have, have people in your life who God, sometimes we can look back and we see God strategically places people in our lives. Sometimes it's just for a season, but he knows what we need. And he knows how he wants to use us in someone else's life and to be able to look back and say, wow, God, your grace, your grace in this friendship, not just your grace in delivering me from all the bad things, but your grace in putting people in my life that were with me in the bad things. They were in with me in the hard things, who prayed for me, who challenged me, who kept me accountable, who sought to be an encouragement. And, and, and Paul had those people in his life, and I believe he needed those people just as much as other people needed the Apostle Paul to be that friend in their life. I just, again, it just, I think as, you know, as we coming through the pandemic and social, all the social distancing that happened, I, I don't look back and go, wow, I just, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't need other people in my life. I'm like, wow, I really need other people in my life. I need that, and you need that. And for us to be able to see God's grace in the friends even that he's put around us. And Paul had that. Now, this ship of Adramidium, this was just a temporary ship for these people to sail on to get them moving towards Rome because the, the winter weather was approaching. Stuff was going to get really hard. It, and so they board this ship with the goal of finding a better and more suitable ship for the long and hard journey to Rome. But we see from verse 3 that the, the first place they landed was Sidon. This is north of Caesarea on the eastern Mediterranean coast. It's about 70 miles away. And we're told that the Roman centurion, Julius, treated Paul kindly, that he gave Paul liberty. Now, this obviously is not a a true liberty, like, you're free, just do whatever you want. He's still a prisoner here. But Julius, God, you know, gave Paul favor with Julius, and so Paul was able to go to his friends inside and to receive care, and, and again, just God's grace towards Paul in these things. But now moving into verses 4 through 8, we continue reading, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. As we 
consider these different stops at the start of this voyage, we see that instead of taking a more direct route, just kind of sailing west directly towards Italy, they, they sailed northwest from Sidon, kind of hugging the coast, sailed on the eastern side of the island of Cyprus there because the winds were already coming against them and making it difficult for them to sail. And so they continue northwest. They sail along the southern coast of Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, where they landed at the city of Mira. And it's here that they transferred onto a different ship that planned to sail to Italy, an Alexandrian ship. An Alexandrian one was one of the three most major cities in the Roman Empire, Alexandria being in northern Egypt. And so they get on this Alexandrian ship. It's a, it was a larger grain ship that would carry a shipment of grain to Rome and, and with its size could hold the, the 276 people. We're going to find out it's 276 people later on in this account who were now going to be aboard it for this long journey to Rome. And so they sail from Mira. Things are slow going because of the difficult weather. And after realizing they, they couldn't proceed how they wanted, they sailed under the shelter, meaning the wind protection of the island of Crete on the south side of the island. And with difficulty, they ended up being able to get to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia on Crete. Now, at this point, they're, they're not even halfway distance-wise to Rome. And the words we've been seeing to describe the journey have not been positive. We've seen that the winds have been contrary. They sailed slowly for many days. They arrived with difficulty. The winds didn't permit them to proceed. They passed Salmon with difficulty. It, and as we're going to continue to see, that the journey is only going to get worse. This wasn't like, everything's now going to get better, and it's going to get really, really bad. So let's continue on and read verses 9 through 12, where Paul's going to give a... a warning about the journey ahead. Verse 9, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship then by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. It's not clear how much time the, the quote-unquote much time was that they spent at the area called Fair Havens there on the south central side of the island of Crete. But what is clear is that they had, they had waited long enough to where the sailing was not just difficult and slow going because of the contrary winds, but that the sailing was actually now dangerous. The fast was over. This is a reference to the Day of Atonement, which means that it was likely early to mid-October, and, and I'm not a sailor, so as I'm, you know, teaching through this portion of text, I'm not like, you know, just speaking from personal experience. 
I'm more like Bob on what about Bob being like strapped to like the middle post of the, the see, I don't even know what it's called. The, the, and, and saying, I'm sailing, I'm a sailor. You know, he's literally doing nothing. That's kind of me as I approach this portion of text. But I did some research, okay? So I've looked some things up. So at least I can kind of use the right words and kind of give you guys an idea of what's going on here. But in that region of the world, at that point in time, it, it started to get really bad weather-wise, sailing-wise, basically sort of from the, the early to mid-September to the beginning of November. And, and after that point, it was like considered winter. No one, like there was no sailing kind of really happening in that portion of the Mediterranean Sea. So it's, it's at the tail end of that time where it's like, guys, we're really cutting it close. Like it's, it's about to be where no one's even going to be on the waters anymore. It's that bad. And, and they had waited to that point to want to wanna kinda make a move. And so with all those things in mind, Paul knows this. He's not a trained sailor. He's better than Bob on What About Bob. He had been through three shipwrecks already from what he wrote in 2 Corinthians. Before this, already the three shipwrecks had happened. So Paul's experience as a sailor was like, I've been through some really bad sailing experiences. I'm going to, I'm just kind of, I mean, I'm just a, you know, I'm just an observer here, but I've been through some bad things and what I'm seeing maybe. Maybe there's some PTSD for the Apostle Paul. He's like, I've been here before. Like, I, I've been in this situation, and I've had to be in the middle of the, of the waters for a night and a day just out on something, hoping that a shark doesn't, like, bite my legs off while I'm in the water. Like, I don't think it's a good idea that we do this. He advises, he urges the centurion and those in charge of the ship, like, guys, let's, let's pump the brakes. Now, in verse 10, Paul doesn't say that he had a word from the Lord about what he went on to say, that the voyage was going to end with disaster and much loss, but that this was something he perceived. It was the conclusion he came to as he considered the situation, as he kind of went off his own past experiences but though Paul didn't present this as a word from the Lord, his, perspe- her, his perception was, was spot on and even prophetic without him maybe even knowing it at the time. Their voyage would end in disaster and much loss, the cargo and the ship, but by God's grace and mercy towards Paul and all those on the ship, the loss would not be of their lives, but it would have been if God hadn't intervened. And even though Paul gave his advice, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. These were the trained sailors instead of the untrained, non-sailor Apostle Paul. And because the harbor of Fair Havens was not a great place, even though the name maybe would make us think, well, this is a really great place to just hang out in the winter because it's called Fair Havens. It should just be fair all the time. It's a nice haven. It was like the worst place to be once winter hit because of where it was at on the island. And so they decided like, hey, we're going to actually move 
we're going to try to get further away from this place. We're going to get to the sort of the southwest tip of the island where, where Phoenix was with the plan that they would winter there instead. But unfortunately, their plan is going to unravel really quickly. But I, but I also want us to see that even though the centurion and the helmsman and the owner of the ship reject Paul's, Paul's advice here, that, that God is going to use Paul later on once things get really bad to help these people believe Paul when he shares with them again. So this gets us into sort of the last portion of our uh, text this morning, verses 13 through 26. But let's, let's look at verses 13 through 20 first. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. Sounds like a dinosaur, right? The Eurocladon! Run! No, it was a storm. Anyways, I just threw you all off. We're back to sailing. It's not dinosaurs. Verse 15, so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship on the third day, verse 19, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. From verses 13 and 14, we see that when this south wind started to blow softly, you know, they basically said like, hey, this is our sign. Paul was wrong. We're right. Like, let's get going. Like, we're going to be fine. Everything is going to be great. So they set sail again, but kind of stuck close to the, the southern coast of Crete before heading into open waters. But clearly, the soft wind didn't last long, and, and soon a tempestuous headwind came about. And that word tempestuous actually speaks of a typhoon. So this is a hurricane on the waters that now has come upon them. And the wind was so strong that they couldn't head into it at all. And they had the, to let the ship actually be driven by the wind. Instead, they're like, okay, we're just going to go wherever the wind takes us. Like, we can't fight it. We can't go where we want to go. Like, hey, like, hands off. Like, let's see what ends up happening. We'll just kind of, we'll, we'll move away and hope we get into a better sort of position. And this actually drove them a little over 20 miles south of the island of Crete to a, a, a really small island called Clauda there in the Mediterranean where they found a bit of temporary shelter provided by that island. And so they were able at that point to secure their skiff. This was their life raft, their escape boat. Maybe their way to drop anchor and have a smaller crew that would go to land. And, and it would have been towed by the boat. So they're like, we may lose the skiff. It could just get, you know, water's going to come into it and it's going to sink. Or it could crash into the boat and cause damage to the, to the ship. So they decide, like, let's take it on board. Let's get it up into the boat. 
and, and, and it was difficult even to do that, but they get it up into the boat, and they started to try to brace and secure the underside of the ship, and most likely this is speaking of them trying to secure the side planks that would have been easier for them to reach, maybe running chains or rope along the sides to keep the panels from breaking open and from water getting into the boat so it wouldn't sink. And so all of a sudden, they're just kind of, this is, this is now what's characterizing their, their boating experience. They're not like sitting on there, drinking their tea, hanging out. They're not fishing off the side. Like, this is so relaxing, isn't it? This is like dudes losing their lunch over the side of the ship because there's a hurricane on the waters that they're, they're afraid they're going to lose their skiff. This is their way of escape. They're afraid that the ship is going to sink, that the, the sides of the ship are going to break open. So they're just, they're, they're working overtime here to try to get this thing and keep this thing together. And because they were afraid that they would be driven even further south as they kind of <laughs> let the ship be driven to this place called Sirtis. This was a, a gulf on the north coast of Africa, the country of, of modern day Libya that was known for its dangerous sandbars out in the ocean or out in the Mediterranean Sea that you wouldn't even know were there and, and created shallower sections where the ship could run aground. And so because they were afraid of that, they, you know, struck sail. They lowered the mainsail and, and decided to be driven by the wind again. And so the next step for them, as we see in verse 18, was that the following day, like, Still, stuff's getting bad. It's getting worse. They started trying to lighten the ship because they were being violently tossed about by the storm. And from verse 19, we see that on the third day, they decided to, to throw the ship's tackle overboard. This, was, this wasn't just like, hey, we're throwing over stuff we don't need. This was like, we're, sh we're throwing away the gear and equipment that was needed to, to handle the sails. Like, we're, we're, we're tossing even those things overboard to try to lighten the ship. Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, no doubt personally helping to do this, as Luke says, we there. And added to that, we're told that neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. This means that the, the storm clouds were so dark and so thick that, that there was no light peeping through. There was no, no sign of stars, no... So, and in that day, that's how you navigated. You'd look at the constellations. This is how you figured out where you were going to go. They didn't know what they were doing anymore. They didn't know where they were at. There's no position. There's no direction. There's no light. It's just dark and stormy and the ship's not doing well and everyone's freaking out and there's lots of fear. And this is just the, the overarching sort of thing that was going on in that ship. And, it said, and, and Luke says, look, when, when the storm continued to beat on them and, and when they didn't see the sun or stars for many days, he says, look, we, we gave up all hope that we would be saved. And I want us to notice here, Luke's not saying, you know what, everyone else, everyone else gave up hope, but, but not us. Notice what Luke says, we, we, 
He didn't say, but we were still hopeful. We were still confident. We had no doubts. Everyone else was freaking out. Not us. We're the courageous ones. We're the faithful ones. You know, like everyone else was looking to us to be those beacons of hope in the storm. He's going, we were freaking out just like everybody else. We gave up hope like everybody else on the ship. All 276 passengers. No hope. All remaining hope at this point in the storm had been stripped away. You know, oftentimes we'll, we'll talk about the 11th hour. That, that place of time almost running out. That, that God will often seem to wait for that 11th hour. Or he'll come through at the 11th hour. That time when it's like, it's almost too late. And then... He comes through, and, and he does. There's often times where we see God in that sort of 11th hour moment. But, but I think there are plenty of times where what we think is the 11th hour comes and goes, and, and God hasn't showed up the way we hoped or pray that he would. I, I feel confident that for Paul and all those on that ship, they must have thought the 11th hour had already passed, where they, where they felt... God had to come through or all, all hope would be gone. In fact, in Luke saying that all hope they would be saved was given up means that they thought time had run out for them and that God was not going to bring deliverance. He was not going to rescue them. You know, these things just remind us that God does not work on our timetable. Does he work on your timetable? Because he doesn't work on mine most of the time. I'm like, God, I've been praying for this thing for years. My timetable was like the very moment I prayed about it for the very first time. That was my timetable. It was like we, we approached God with that microwave sort of mindset. I'm going to put my prayer in. 30 seconds later, it's going to pop out. I'll heat it up and ready to go. Right? We, I mean, if we look back maybe at how we approached the things that we prayed about or the, the time frame that we thought we had, that's probably, probably not uncommon for us to kind of <laughs> look at it in that sort of way. But God's timetable is not, not like ours. These things remind us that God's not a genie. He doesn't bow to our every whim and prayer. And it reminds us that God's ways are often not our ways. Years earlier, Paul said, look, I must go to Rome. Before he ever even was saying, look, I'm going to, you know, chains and tribulations awaited me. Long before that, Paul's going, look, I want to go to Rome. I have, I have this desire in my heart to go to Rome. And then once I go to Rome, I'm going to go to Spain. And I'm, this, he's just looking at these opportunities to bring the gospel into these new areas but I, but I highly doubt he, he thought it would have been like this. When, when years earlier, he's going, I'm going to go to Rome. He did, he's not thinking like, I'm going to go to Rome in chains. I'm going to go to Rome on a boat with a bunch of stinky dudes. I'm going to go to Rome in a huge storm. I'm going to have to go 
through a gnarly shipwreck. Like, I don't think in Paul's mind those things were there. I think in his mind he was probably thinking, you know, when I'm ready, I'm going to go. I'm going to choose my route. I'm going to find the right boat. I'm going to have the right people with me. It's going to be great. But listen, God's timing may, may not seem perfect to us at times, but God's timing is perfect. He may not do all the things we hope or pray he will, but he does answer our prayers. You know, God saying no is an answer to our prayers. We're like, we come to God and we're like, God, here's my prayer. And we're just, in our minds, it's an affirmative. The only possible outcome is for him to say, yes, of course. And he's like, no, no. Sometimes he's like, okay, let's wait on that one. I think wait sometimes is harder than no. I think we can handle no sometimes better than wait. Sometimes he does say yes. But I think oftentimes we get the wait and the no and we're like, it just throws us all kinds of ways off in our minds like, God, wait, what? I, you were going to do the thing that I asked because I asked, right? Like that's how it works. But he does answer our prayers. He is present. He, he's active. He's working in our lives and situation. He, he cares about us. He cares what we're going through. And his ways may not be our ways at times, but his way is perfect and his plan for our lives is with our good and his glory in mind. The problem is that we have a different perspective of what our good is that often doesn't match what God says is good for you and for me. I don't think any of us looks at suffering and trials and goes, oh, so good. It's so good, right, guys? Looking around like, isn't this so good? God's doing this for my good. And you're like, I don't want this. I don't like this. Get me out of this. You know, there's like kind of a few different ways we might respond. But God's looking and he's going, I have your good in mind. I know what this is going to produce. I know how I'm going to use this in your life. I know I'm going to refine you. I know how I'm going to use this as a witness. I know how I'm going to give you grace. I know how I'm going to be your strength. I know how you're going to experience that fellowship of suffering that Paul wrote about. You're going to see me in those things. It's for our good. But for us, we might not see it that way at the time. So when we find ourselves in the storm, when it seems like the sun or stars haven't appeared for a while, things are really, really dark. With all hope of being rescued seemingly gone. Can I encourage us this morning to not let the storm, the this, this situation we're going through, to not let the voice of others, and to not even let the voice of our own emotions, our own perspective be louder or truer to us than the voice of our God and the promises of his word. He is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He does love us and cares about what we're going through. He, he sees 
what's happening. He's attentive. Even in those places of our mind, no one else sees or knows about. He sees it. He is working all things together for our good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Our God will never not be faithful because he cannot deny himself. And even though our circumstances may not be good outwardly, our God is and always will be good. These truths should help us to trust him when we're in the valley of the shadow of death and the storm just as much as when we're on the, on the mountaintop and in places of abundance or ease and, and, and help us to be a people of hope no matter if things work out the way we want them to or not. Because as we're going to see, God, God wasn't going to keep Paul and his two friends or the rest of the people on that ship from danger. He didn't keep them from danger. But he is going to be with them and keep them alive in the midst of the danger. But, but back to our text in this point in time in this storm. All, all remaining hope had been stripped away that they'd, been, that they'd be rescued from danger. And this should be encouraging for all of us because even these faith-filled and courageous guys had all hope of deliverance, of rescue stripped away from them. The, the storms, the trials, the difficulties that we face can do the same things to us at times. It can strip away our hope. It can make us feel like there's no chance of deliverance or rescue or help and that doesn't make us a second-class Christian if we experience those sorts of things. It just means that we're still being sanctified and that we haven't yet been perfected. Guys, those struggles of doubt, those struggles of discouragement doesn't mean that you and I are just, man, we're really blowing it. We should be so much more faith-filled than we are right now. It just means that there's another opportunity to trust the Lord and have him grow our faith in him. Because I, I, I think what we can do oftentimes is we can just condemn ourselves in those moments. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm struggling right now. I can't believe I'm not handling this better. I can't believe I just... Why, not, why don't I just trust him completely and, and not have this sort of lingering thing in my mind like that things are not gonna get better? Well, like, you're human. You're human. Paul and Aristarchus and Luke, they all had the same sort of thing. They lost hope. They fought discouragement. They struggled with things internally. But I, but I hope we see that in those things, God met them. God met them. And God wants to meet us in those times as well. Things for Paul and his two friends and the other 273 people on the boat were, were dark. 
physically and situationally. They were hopeless from their limited perspective, but it was into this dark and hopeless situation that God is going to send an angel to Paul with a message, a, a message to confirm that that di- disaster was coming, but with that also giving promises that would encourage their hearts and revive their hope. So let's continue on and read our last section of verses, verses 21 through 26. It says, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Don't we love it when people say, you should have listened to me. I told you so. It's like from a very early age, we just really don't like to be told that we were wrong about something, right? I don't think Paul was smug here about saying this. Man, you should have listened to me, not incurred this disaster and loss. And now, verse 22, I I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, again, take heart, men. For I believe that God, I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, <laughs> we must run aground on a certain island. So at this point, we're told they hadn't eaten any food for a while. This wasn't them like fasting. Like we're all just really seeking the Lord here. Like it, they were probably sick from how much the storm was tossing them around. They were probably stressed out. You ever try to eat when you are just so severely stressed out? It, you, you lose your appetite. You don't even really want to eat. When you are full of fear and anxiety, you're just like, no, I don't really want to eat. And can you imagine trying to eat in these conditions? Like, let me just enjoy my sandwich. Like, you're, you're trying to brace yourself because you don't want to get tossed overboard by the storm. Like, it just wasn't, food just wasn't a thing at this point for them. It, it was at this point, they hadn't eaten, everyone was feeling hopeless, that, that Paul's reminder of the warning he gave them came. And, and he wasn't reminding them to, to rub it in. No, he was reminding them to help them receive this new message he was going to give them. And into this dark situation, hope is going to be held out. In verses 21 and 22, Paul told the people on the ship, look, you should have listened, but even though you didn't, even though we're now facing all this danger, guys, take heart. Be encouraged. Be confident. Everyone's life is going to be spared. None of of you are going to die because of this storm. Only the ship is going to be destroyed. And, And Paul tells them why they could trust him in verses 23 and 24. They could trust him because that very night an angel of the God to whom he belonged and to whom he served, I love that, I belong to the Lord. I serve the Lord. Like it, just to clarify, the God that I belong to, the God that I serve is the God 
who has encouragement for us. It's the God who's going to save us. It's the God, he's the God who's gonna show up in this situation for, for all of you as well, not just for me. This is, this is Paul's opportunity to point these people to the Lord. That the angel stood and spoke to him and said, don't be afraid, Paul. What does this mean? Paul was afraid. He needed to hear this from the Lord. He was dealing with fear. He needed the angel to tell him, look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Telling him that, look, you must be brought before Caesar. You're going to stand before Caesar. This storm is not going to derail God's plan. And added to that, that God had graciously granted Paul all those who sailed with him as well. You know, God could have just let Paul make it out alive. He could have let Paul and his two friends make it out alive, but, but then let everyone else perish in the storm, but he didn't do that. His grace was being extended to every single person on this ship. This, and this was just a reminder to these people, look, my God is a God of grace. So in light of the promise God gave Paul through this angel, In verse 25, Paul tells them once again, take heart. There's reason to be encouraged because Paul said he believed God that it would be just as it was told him. And I want to, this might seem like, Jared, you're just kind of like, you know, you're getting really technical with wording here. But I want us to see that Paul didn't just believe in God. He didn't just believe in God. I know that there's a God. I know he exists. I know things about him. He didn't just believe in God. Luke says, Luke records for us that Paul said that he believed God. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. He believed. He trusted. He had faith that God, that what God said he would do with complete faithfulness. This faith that Paul had in his God was rooted in, in a real relationship that he had with his God and the, and the promises of his God because his God had never failed in anything he had ever said he would do. And look, when our faith is rooted in a, in a real thriving relationship with the true and living God and, and rooted in the promises, the word of our God, not in our expectations, not in our ideals, not in the things that we project onto God that we think he should do, but what he said he would do. You and I will get to see and experience and walk in the faithfulness of our God to whom we belong and to whom we serve, and our faith will only deepen and become a witness to those around us. However, as Paul concluded in verse 27, though God promises a, a prim, God, though God's promise about them making it out of the storm alive was true, they were going to have to run aground. They were going to be shipwrecked on a certain island. And again, God wasn't going to keep Paul and his two friends or the rest of the people on that ship from danger, but he was going to be with them and keep them alive in the midst of the danger. And we're going to continue studying this account next week. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. But in closing, 
Listen, will, will we believe God? I think that's a good question for us. Will we believe God in spite of having to go through dark and difficult and uncomfortable situations and seasons? I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with discouragement or have moments where you feel hopeless, but will we believe God in spite of all the things we go through. Jesus told us that we would have tribulation. He said stuff was going to be hard. He didn't promise us that everything was going to be easy. But he did promise us that he'd be with us in all of it. Would we believe in him and really trust him that even though he allows us to go through trials and suffering and hardship, that that doesn't make him any less good, that it doesn't make him any less trustworthy, it doesn't make him any less powerful or able, it doesn't make him any less faithful, and it doesn't make his word, his promises any less true. Guys, just as Paul said to these people twice, I say to us today, take heart, be encouraged, be confident in the Lord, listen to his voice, trust him and what he said. Each day brings a new opportunity to believe God all over again. You're like, well, I believed him yesterday. I believed him last week. No, each moment is part of walking by faith. We believe him. We believe his word. We, we believe who he is. Each day brings that opportunity to get our eyes focused once again on the Lord, to, to place our, our faith and our hope in Jesus and get to watch what he does. It may not all work out the way that we want it to, but to know that he's working, to see that he's working, to see that he's present, to experience his all-sufficient grace, his strength that's made perfect in our times of weakness, to, to be recipients of having the, having the power of Christ rest upon us when we have nothing in ourselves to go off of. To know that God wants to encourage and strengthen and comfort us as we entrust our lives continually to him. And maybe for some of us this morning, there's just a, maybe a needed reminder for us to be still and know that he's God in the midst of what we're facing. Be still. Because we can get all amped up on trying to figure out all the things and we can get all anxious in our thoughts and we want to try to work everything out and figure out logically how these things are going to come to this point that we're hoping for. But just to be still, just to rest in the Lord this morning in the, in the midst of maybe, maybe the storm that you're going through. And, and maybe you're not the person who's facing the storm. Maybe you're the friend who's walking the path with someone who's going through a storm, that you can take these things and be that messenger. You can be that sort of angel of the Lord, in a sense, who can bring the word of God to somebody and to walk alongside them and just love them through things.
to be there, to be present. I believe God has something for us, no matter where we're at in all of that. (laughs) But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that God, even though your timing is not our timing, your timing is, is perfect. That Lord, you don't, that though you don't always answer our prayers with a yes like we want you to, that God, you do answer. That God, even when things are hard, even when the storm is there, Lord, even when everything seems so dark, that God, you're present and you're working and you see us. That God, though your, your ways are not ours, that God, your ways are perfect as well. That God, you know what you're doing. You've never, ever said oops. God, you're perfect. And your ways are perfect. And your plan is perfect. God, help us when everything does not seem good outwardly. Help us to see, Lord, that those things are not a reflection of who you are. Help us, Lord, not to see you through the lens of our circumstances. God, help us to see that, God, you're good in spite of the bad things that we experience at times. And God, help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to be people of hope when times are hopeless. And not just for our lives, but help us to be those friends like Luke and Aristarchus, Lord, who can walk along the journey of someone else maybe who's going through the storm, who's going through a dark time, Lord, where things are just, are not looking good. Lord, that we could be Faithful friends, Lord, faithful listeners, Lord, faithful encouragers. God, give us the gift of mercy that we could walk through things with people and represent you well as we do that. And God, for those who are going through the storm, maybe they feel like they haven't seen the sun or stars in days, maybe they feel weak from whatever they've been going through. They're not seeing how you're going to come through. God, would you just let them know this morning that you're there. Lord, you're with them. You haven't abandoned them. You're never going to leave them. That God, even when things look bleak, Lord, you're working. That God, even though things may not work out the way that we want them to, that God, you're still trustworthy. You're still good. You still care. And God, you are working all things together for our good in your eternal glory. So God, help us to see your hand, to have a greater sense of your presence in the things that we're facing. And God, would you make us messengers, Lord, messengers of grace, 
of comfort, of encouragement to those who are dealing with hard things even today. But look, if you're here this morning and you never just first put your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go through life alone. Like, things are not hopeless in the truest sense because we have a God of hope. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our hope. He is salvation. He is our peace in this morning that we can look to him and those things that we can't overcome, that sin issue that, that is present in every single person that God has made a way for you and me to be made right with him. It's only It's only through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and life. And so this morning, if you just need your sins forgiven, you need to know that heaven is not just a a wishful sort of thought, but it's a promise from God to you. Would you just stand where you're at and just, just to say, look, that's me this morning. Lord, would you save me? Forgive me. You know, I, I know some this morning are going through some, some hard things. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But Lord, you know those this morning. They're, they're in the depths of the storm right now. Lord, they don't know how things are going to get better, how things are going to work out. Their, their sense of navigation, of direction, of knowing where to go or what to do, whatever the next steps might be, Lord, is, is, is they don't even know that, Lord. Maybe they're feeling hopeless this morning, God. They're need, in need of encouragement, in need of hope. Lord, God, would you, just, would you just put your hand upon them, Lord God? Lord, would you uphold them with your righteous right hand today? God, be their good shepherd. Lord, would your rod and your staff comfort them as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, as they're in that boat in the midst of the storm and they're getting tossed back and forth, and Lord God, that you'd be their stability. You'd be their refuge, their shelter. Lord God, that they'd run to you even today. And God, find in you all that they need. And Lord, as we sing these songs of praise, Lord, as we take of the communion elements, Lord, as maybe some get prayed for this morning, Lord, God, would you continue to move by your spirit? God, would you be honored in this time? Lord, as we seek to bless you, as we seek to praise you, Lord, would you Continue to minister even during this time to each of your people here. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.